I want to start off this morning with a light-hearted question. What is the most important thing in your life? What does your heart beat for? What is it that drives you above all else? Another way to put it, if people could hear your spiritual heartbeat, would they hear the heart of Jesus Christ? Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called Not a Fan. I referenced it last week. And he asked the question in our walks with Jesus, are you a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? Say, what's the difference? Well, he, he defines a fan as an enthusiastic admirer. Like many of us are for the cardinals in this room. You know, we cheer for them. We watch them on television. Sometimes we go to the games, but we never really get out there on the field and risk ourselves for the team. In fact, usually we probably watch them less when they're not doing so good. We watch them more when they're doing well. We're enthusiastic admirers, but it doesn't really cost us anything. A lot of us are like that with Jesus, he says. We're enthusiastic admirers, but whenever it comes to cost us something, uh uh-uh. The other option is a follower, one who follows Jesus above all else, no matter what. And he says it's important to have a DTR when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Anybody know what a DTR is? Define the relationship. You know that because you just got married a year ago. There was a moment where where you had to sit down. You two and decide, is this going to be just the two of us going forward forever or are we going to go our separate ways? I remember that moment with Carolyn when we were dating. We had somewhere read that James Dobson said you should wait a year before you decide if you're going to get married. Go through every season. And at the beginning, we said we would do that. But at seven months of dating, we knew. We had known each other for a while in the college group before that. And we're going to disobey James Dobson, we said. It's okay to disobey James. It's not okay to disobey God. (laughs) But at seven months, we knew. And we said, hey, yes, we want to spend the rest of our lives together. So I asked her, and of course she said yes. I would highly recommend that if you ever plan on asking someone to marry you on national TV. Have the DTR first. Did you hear recently there was some guy at a game that did that, and she actually said no with all the cameras on him? See, if they'd had a DTR before that moment, he could have spared himself some pain. Author of Not a Fan says we need to do that in our relationship with Jesus. Define the relationship. Am I a fan or a follower? And some of the questions he asks in the book are are penetrating questions. He asks the question, for what do you sacrifice your money? And he talks about how a lot of times we want to figure out what's the most I could spend on a house. But then when it comes to giving to God, we say, do I give based off of net or gross income? Which translated many times means, what's the least I can get away with? (laughs) When you're hurt, where do you go first for comfort? Is it to Jesus? Or is it to a parent, a spouse, the fridge, the television, work? He says, what disappoints or frustrates you the most? Is it... When someone you know walks down a sinful path or, or dies without believing in Jesus? 
or is it loss of a job or loss of a ball game? <laughs> Some of this is convicting. What is it that really gets you excited? Is it when someone comes to Jesus or when your ball team wins a game? Is it when someone gets baptized or when there's a 30% off sale at Kohl's this weekend? <laughs> These kinds of questions help us define the relationship. And he says throughout the book, which is true, we're saved by grace through faith. He acknowledges that. But when it comes to following Jesus in obedience, am I a fan or a follower? If someone listened to my heartbeat, would they hear the heartbeat of Jesus? Peter, in our chapter today, is about to have a DTR moment with Jesus. Luke chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 1. A little background here. This is not the first time Peter had met Jesus. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, we learned that John the Baptist had told Andrew and some of the other people that would eventually follow Jesus, look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Peter's brother Andrew had gone to get Peter and said, we found the Messiah. And Peter came back and met him. In Luke, we've also seen that Jesus has encountered Peter's home. He's healed his mother-in-law. Mark has the chronology reversed, so we're not exactly sure uh, which happened first. But we know at the very least that he had met Jesus through his brother Andrew. Often that's how it is in our relationship with Jesus. We don't have just one DTR moment. They happen sometimes repeatedly throughout our lives where we need to define and redefine that relationship with Jesus. So Peter's about to have one that's really important. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, it's also known as what? Sea of Galilee. Yep, this is right near G Peter's hometown. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, I don't want to say much here except to say something that's clearly true about Jesus. He's not interested in staying in the Sunday or Saturday meeting. He's interested in taking his truth and his word out into the world. Here you see him in a public place by the lake, in Peter's business place, in Peter's boat, preaching the word of God. Jesus wants to go out of this room into your world where you work, where you live, where you hang out. That's, that's what he's about. He says to Peter, hey, put out a little bit from shore. And Peter did. And he taught the people from the boat. Now watch this. Peter's going to have a conflict between two things in just a moment. His logic and his common sense, which a lot of us got that, right? You know, we, and most of us sometimes hold on to it real tight, like I know I'm right, and you're not going to convince me otherwise. My logic tells me this, my common sense. He's going to have a contrast between that and the command of Jesus Christ. You ever had that moment where your common sense says one thing, and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit leading you, says something different? Watch this. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water 
and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. He knows how to fish, okay? Peter knows that in the Sea of Galilee, you fish at night and you fish shallow. And they haven't caught anything. And here's a carpenter who shows up on the scene and says, I want you to put out into deep water and let down the nets during the day. You do not fish in deep water during the day. That's probably what's going through Peter's mind here. I've done this for years. Now watch. He says that, but he says it respectfully. He says, Master, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. What did he do right there? He let what Jesus told him override his own common sense. And there are moments in our lives where we need to do that. We need to say, I am finite. You are infinite. You say, go, I'll go. You say, stay, I'll stay. Now watch what happens. Verse 6, when they had done so against all odds... Physically speaking, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners, James and John, most likely in the other boat, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I would have loved to see that. So many fish that their boats began to sink. Biggest catch that Peter had most likely ever had in his life. And I look at this moment and I, and I think about where are those moments where my common sense sometimes gets tested against what Jesus says? What could that look like today? And I think maybe it's you at your workplace. You're on your lunch break and you're, you're 12 projects behind your deadline. And you're really feeling like today I need to work through my lunch break because I've got to get these projects done. And you hear an employee that you work with on the phone with someone at home and the phone call ends with them in tears. And the spirit starts to nudge you. Say, hey, maybe you should ask them, you okay? Is there any way I could pray for you? What's your common sense say? I got work to do. <laughs> I got to get this done. What are you going to go with at that moment? Your common sense or how God leads you? What about a financial situation where you know there's a family that's in need and God starts to tug and he says, hey, I want you to bless this family. I want you to help them out because they're having trouble putting food on the table. You look at the budget and the budget says, uh-uh. Who, who, who do you go with? Who do you go with? woman at our Thanksgiving meal this week was telling a story. She's been sharing Jesus with an 84-year-old man. And all the people around her are saying, stop doing that. He's 84. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. There's no way. He's, he's, he hasn't believed in Jesus all this time. Why is he going to believe now? What's she going to do? Go with that common sense or go with what God's laying on her heart? She's going to keep sharing. She's going to have the faith of George Mueller. You may have heard of him uh, a man who opened an orphanage and decided at the beginning he wasn't going to fundraise. He was just going to trust God for the funds. And God always was there for him financially. George Mueller 
tells a story how he prayed for 50 years for two men in his life that didn't know Jesus. <laughs> 50 years. One of them came to the Lord shortly before George Mueller died. One of them came to the Lord shortly after George Mueller died. And when asked, why do you keep praying for these men who are so hard-hearted toward Jesus? His answer was, I don't believe God would have put it so strongly on my heart to pray for them unless he was interested in bringing them to Jesus. He let his faith override common sense. Is there any place where your logic and God's call today are in disagreement? If so, which are you going to follow? Cool thing here. Jesus' first command to Peter was actually to let him get in the boat and push out a little ways. The second command was to go out deeper. Warren Wiersbe pointed out if he had not obeyed Jesus in the first little command, he would have missed out on being part of a miracle. If he had said, no, you can't use my boat. This is my, my fishing boat. We don't teach out of this. It would have stopped right there. Sometimes it's yes in the little things that can lead to yes and being a part of something big when God calls us. He's defining the relationship. Verse 8, it goes on. When Simon Peter saw this, he's looking at this biggest catch of his career. How's he going to react? <laughs> it says, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You see, Peter's never one to stand by and think about something for a little bit. Like, what does this mean? <laughs> Peter is full on whatever he does. So he falls down. Says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He is so overwhelmed by what he's just seen. He's learning more and more about who this son of God is. And his first reaction is, I'm a sinner. I don't know what sins or what parts of his life are going through his mind. He knows all of a sudden, if he didn't know it before, that this is a holy one. And he tells him, go away from me. He's, he's fearful because of his sin. It says, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Reminds me of Isaiah 6. You remember Isaiah was called to be God's prophet. And he had a vision of God. Angels flying around. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. One of his first reactions in Isaiah 6, 5 was, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You ever had that response when you think about Jesus? Think about who he is and you look at what you've done. You say, woe to me. Peter says he's a sinner. Luke uses that phrase 15 times in his gospel. It only comes up around 22 times in all the gospels. Luke uses the phrase sinner. And a man named Lyfield said it this way. Luke does not use the term negatively but compassionately as a common term applied to those who were isolated from Jewish religious circles because of their open sin, their unacceptable occupation or lifestyle or their paganism. Luke shows that these sinners are the objects of God's grace through the ministry 
of Jesus. In Jesus' own words in this passage, this is so beautiful. You got to let this sink in if you came in here feeling the way Peter does. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. Those words, don't be afraid, show us the heartbeat of a Savior who came to seek and save the lost. Daryl Buck says this, what Peter does not realize is that admitting one's inability and sin is the best prerequisite for service. Since then, one can depend on God. Peter's confession becomes his resume for service. Humility is the elevator to spiritual greatness. That's some good news right there. That's good news for Peter. That's good news for me. That's good news for you. That very thing that makes you feel inadequate, that humility over your sin is the first step towards being usable in the hands of a Savior. What does he tell them they're going to do? You'll fish for people. Bailey says fishermen caught live fish to kill them, but the disciples would be catching people who were dead to give them life. And what's beautiful about this whole scene is in Jewish tradition, rabbis didn't choose their students. They didn't go out asking people if they would be their students because that's a humble spot to be in. Because if a rabbi says, if I say to Angelo, hey, would you be my student? You might say no, right? <laughs> so that's a humble spot to be in. Rabbis usually waited till the students came to them and asked permission. Could I please be your student? Could I please be your student? Jesus goes to these men and says, I want you. That's what he does to his followers today. He comes and says, I want you. You can't have a relationship with Jesus unless he calls you. When he calls you, it's a beautiful thing. And his call is disruptive in your life. That's why I just said that's not a comforting idea. Jesus' call in your life is often, I'd say always, a, a disruptive call. Tim Keller says this from the lips of Jesus. He, he says Jesus would say this in, in Keller's terms. Knowing me, loving me, resembling me, serving me must become the supreme passion of your life. Everything else comes second. That's disruptive. How would these men respond? We'll see in a moment. We know Peter's initial response was humility. And that leads us to a question. Is that you this morning? Are you humble before the Savior? Or are you proud right now, resisting the tug on your heart for your life? You have a humility before him because of your sin. Have you believed the lie that because you're humbled in your sin that, that you're disqualified? Have you bought into that lie that because I've been here, done that, thought that, he can't use me? Or do you realize that humility is the very first step that will make you usable to God? See, the Holy Spirit brings that conviction of sin. He tells you you're sinful. 
Not so you'll stay there condemned, but so you'll come to this Savior and say, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace in my life. Let's go on. Here's their response. Verse 11, they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Now, when I first read this passage in our missional community, we've been going through Luke a chapter a week and talking about it. The thing that jumped to my mind is this is the biggest catch of their career. They're leaving it all behind. How many of us at that moment would look at this record business day and say, man, I'm going to call Jesus in here and let him continue to help me out in my pursuits. Jesus, you just stick around here in the business and let's keep having these record catches. You're you're here for me. I like what you bring. I like your gifts. You're here for me. We become more enamored sometimes with the gift than we do with the giver, don't we? Jesus becomes our personal genie. Timothy Keller, man, this convicted me when I read it. He said, if you say... I'll obey you, Jesus, if my career thrives, if my health is good, if my family is together, then the thing that's on the other side of that if is your real master, your real goal. But Jesus will not be a means to your end. He will not be used if he calls you to follow him He must be the goal. (laughs) It's been said that how people respond to success is one indication of their true character. What's Peter's character here? He has the three qualities Jesus is looking for. He's willing to go where Jesus leads. He's humble and he's fully committed. Willing, humble, committed. Now look at that response. They, they get this record catch. And they become more enamored with the one who did it. And they say, we'll leave all that behind for you, Jesus. I love you more than that. Love you more than anything. That leads us to the question, which are you more sold out to this morning? The giver or his gifts? What am I more sold out to, the giver or his gifts? And some of us are looking at this and saying, man, I have blown this DTR test on so many levels so many times. I look at times in my life where I've done that, put the gift above the giver, where I wasn't humble, where I was proud, where I put my common sense above what God told me. There's good news if you're here and that's you. I want to talk to you about a second chance. Because this was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? That Peter and Jesus have this encounter. He would have a similar encounter at the end of his ministry with Peter. And you remember there's some history between there. History like Jesus being denied by Peter three times. Peter said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Jesus dies on the cross and what's Peter do? He goes back to fishing. I don't know him. I don't believe he's alive. I'm going back. Lack of faith that he had been raised from the dead. So after this initial DTR moment where Peter passes, he goes through some failure. 
Watch this. After Jesus' resurrection, it's only in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bible and you want to look at it, John 21, verse 4. After the resurrection, it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. They're out in the boat fishing. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Light bulbs start to go off here. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord. Imagine his failures running through his mind. (laughs) The ways he'd failed his Savior. Peter wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The man's excited, okay? You don't put your clothes on before you (laughs) jump in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And you can imagine Peter there wondering, where's this all going? Because I've, I've dropped the ball. <laughs> I have so let him down after everything he did for me. Verse 15, this is one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture if, if you're looking for a second chance. So when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Some people think he's talking about the fish that he had gone back to, the business. Do you love me more than these fish? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What's he doing when he's saying, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep? He's saying, Peter, I'm not done with you. I know you've dropped the ball on me. I know you've let me down. I'm not done with you. You, You've got a job to do for me. Imagine the hope rising in him. Some of us need that hope this morning. There is a second chance with Jesus. As we look at those ideas, as we look at that DTR moment, is, is it Jesus' heartbeat that people would hear if they could hear your spiritual heartbeat? I... I want to share a story I saw in the news this week that I think paints a picture in a beautiful way. November 27th, I don't know if you read this. There's a picture I want to show you. The man on the right there is a man named Tom Meeks, Vietnam vet. It was on his way to a certain death if he didn't receive a heart transplant. He'd been waiting three years for a heart transplant. A few months back, there was a 21-year-old named Matt Heisler. 
college student at the University of North Dakota. He died in an off-campus house fire. And he had checked to donate his organs to someone who needed it. Long story short, Tom Meeks received the heart he needed from young Matt Heisler. Matt Heisler's death, he was able to offer his heart uh, to someone else that they might, might live. And the picture right here is Matt Heisler, the 21-year-old's younger sister, Casey. She, along with the young man's parents, Jared and Cheryl, got to meet this man recently. And you can see in the picture what she's got is a stethoscope. And all three of them put that stethoscope on this veteran and listened to the heartbeat. It was the heart of her brother, uh, their son. And what this younger sister said right there, she said, the heart that I grew up with and felt in all my hugs when I hugged him is still out there somewhere. She was hearing her brother's heartbeat inside of this man. Again, I ask the question, if someone were to listen to your spiritual heartbeat, would they hear the heartbeat of Jesus? What is that heartbeat? We know from Luke 19.10 that a big part of that heartbeat is that the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. He's on a mission of rescue and salvation. He shared that heartbeat with Simon. He said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. And he told his disciples later on, just before his death in John 16, he said, now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate... The Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's saying, he's saying, I know it hurts you that I'm going to die and rise again and ascend. But unless I die, unless I rise again and go to heaven, the Holy Spirit will not come. But you guys know that it's only through the Holy Spirit that we can have the heartbeat of Jesus. And watch what happened in Peter. After all of his ups and downs, the Holy Spirit comes upon him in the early church. He preaches a sermon on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2 verse 37 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Earlier, he'd had a full net of fish. You talk about a full net of the men that Jesus said he would catch? All because. He had the heartbeat of Jesus beating in him through the power of the Holy Spirit. If people listen to your spiritual heartbeat today, would they hear the heart of Jesus? Father, I thank you 
so much for Peter. I don't think there's one of us in this room that don't relate to him. He was a little scared of you when he knew his sin. Probably every one of us has been there. Humbled because we know we fall short. Every one of us is hopeful that despite that, you could forgive us and and use us and, and give us a second chance. And Peter's an example of that. If we will believe in you, Jesus, if we'll turn to you, trust in you for our forgiveness, trust in you, your death and your resurrection in our place. Father, I pray especially for anyone in this room this morning thinking, man, I have blown it big time. I came in here defeated and feeling far from God. Whether it's the first time they come to Jesus or the, the one millionth, Lord, may they, may they find the same grace that Peter did. May we walk out of here in the power of the Holy Spirit, believing that you can use us for your kingdom. Please do that in us, Jesus. I pray that even as we give of our offerings this morning, they would come from a heart that, that just loves you with all we've got. A heart that says, yes, I'm more than a fan. I'm a, I'm a follower. Lord, not under compulsion, not because we brought it up here up front. Just lead us as your people. Thank you, Jesus. You Think about all the things we could be thankful for this Thanksgiving. You stand above them all. And we give you praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen.